0: Well good morning everybody. That's the best, isn't it? Start off a little Indiana Jones this morning. Uh, just want to take a moment though first uh, just again to echo the welcome that John extended as part of announcements morning. I want to say welcome to you and whether you're in the boondocks all the way in the lobby out there or you're right here front and center. Uh, just want to say how thankful and how excited we are to have you here with us today and we believe that it's true that uh, we believe it's no accident you're here. We believe God has something powerful to say, and that something that he has to say today it begins with the Indiana Jones. I have a confession for you to make to you today. I, for the longest time as a pastor, have been wanting to start a sermon off with a clip from Indiana Jones, and I finally found the way to do it. So thank you for being a part of that and helping me check that off the list today. How could you not want to start a sermon with Indiana Jones? I love Indiana Jones. As a kid, I dressed up not once, but twice. Is Indiana Jones for Halloween, because come on, any costume that allows you to walk around Story City, Iowa with a bullwhip in your hand is my kind of a Halloween costume. And it's so much more than that, right? I mean, the, the whip was cool, the hat was cool, the leather jacket was awesome, kept me warm on a nice Iowa October but there's so much more about this guy that captivates, that allows... me. I mean, if they came out with new movies now for Indiana Jones, I would continue to watch them because he's always seeking this adventure. He's always got these amazing discoveries that he's making and these places that he gets to travel to and these challenges that he's forced to overcome all of the time. And this clip is no exception, right? I mean, on the one hand, he's got his father who's dying because he's been shot. And on the other hand, he's on this quest to find eternal life, to find the secret of the holy grail. And he finds this, of course, these challenges come. First, it's bad guys with swords and guns, right? Then there's the saw blades going all over the place. And now comes this giant chasm that he has to step across. And as he's confronted with this challenge, I just, I love the way, a much younger Harrison Ford than the latest movie I saw him in, by the way, I love the way that he acts this out. I mean, he's got this incredible challenge in front of him, and I don't know... I've watched that clip about a dozen times getting ready for this, and I don't think the bridge is there beforehand, and it's just disguised. I think it shows up later. So he's got this daunting challenge in front of him, and he's trying to figure out uh, what he's going to do, and it's the way that he acts it. He takes these deep breaths. You can tell he's covered in sweat, and it's almost like this sense of peace comes over him as he's wrestling and finally finds his answer to this question that I think he's, ans- he's asking himself in this clip. And what's the question? Well, he's got this book in front of him, right? All the, I mean, this really cool journal. I went online. You can even buy replicas of his journal with all the cool cryptographic drawings and all these things in there, right? And he's looking through, he's slipping through the pages, he's trying to read, he's looking at the facts around him and if it matches up in his book. And here's what he's asking. He's asking, can I trust the stuff that is written in this book, right? He's gone and he's done the research. He's looked and he's written it down and he's interpreting and he's applying it to his situation. But at the end of the day, he's still got to ask this question, do I believe this stuff? And that's a question for you and I as disciples of Jesus We're challenged to ask probably more often than we think. We may not always think about it in terms of explicit thoughts in our head. Do I trust The book, and we're not just talking about journals anymore, are we? We're talking about God's Word. We're talking about the Holy Scriptures. But do you trust it? As you go through life, have you ever asked yourself this question, what do I do with the Bible. Can I trust this book as the Word of God? It's one that we wrestle with at the very beginning of our faith, and and maybe some of us have have said, yes, I believe this book, but I still have a lot of big questions about it, and if that's you today, well, you're in the right place. Some of us uh, have grown up with it, and it's completely comfortable, and we've never questioned anything about it. But it's an interesting question to engage and to think about, and it's got me thinking about it a lot more recently, as of all things, the flu decided to make a pit stop at the Hermanson household about a month ago. So I've got six people in my family, and so it was a great weekend about a month ago as the flu, one by one, it started with my five-year-old son, Callan, and the flu showed up, and, and just one by one, about every 12 hours, we started dropping like dominoes. And I found myself in this situation I thought, I don't know how I'm going to keep the natives from going crazy in this house. I've got to figure out a way because I'm, you know, recovering and my wife is as well and we're trying to figure out how are we going to survive. And so we went with what any, and I did what any self-respecting dad would do in a situation like this. I went online to iTunes and I downloaded not one, not two, but all six of the Star Wars movies in hopes of watching them over the entire weekend. And we did. It was awesome. It was great. I didn't hardly had to get off the couch except to uh, visit the bathroom and provide basic nutrients for my kids, uh, sustenance for them to survive. But it was interesting to say that as a story showed up in my house, as we allowed this other big grand story, not just Indiana Jones, not just... God's word, but as we allowed Star Wars to invade our household, to say that it changed everything about my household would probably be an understatement. I mean, I can't go more than one meal anymore without kids making random noises like Chewbacca or throwing out quotes in the movie, guess who I am, right? I can't even walk through my house without tripping on a lightsaber or watching them use their toothbrushes to pretend that Darth Vader is attacking Luke Skywalker, <laughs> But there's one example in particular that it just, it just blew me away how far that Star Wars has made itself into my household. My oldest, seven-year-old Gwyneth, is laying on the couch, and she's laying back like this. And she's, she's on the couch, and over here is an end table that's got her water bottle on it. And she's laying down, and she's reaching for a water bottle. And she's still got like three feet to go, but she's reaching, and she's struggling. And I'm like, Gwyneth, what are you doing? And she goes, Dad, I'm using the force to try and get my water bottle. <laughs> And it was my proudest moment as a dad. (laughs) This story has been embedded in our very life, in their little brains. They can't help but latch on to this. But it's got me thinking as I've seen how deeply this has taken root in our household. Right? We have all kinds of stories that we read in our household. Almost every night we pull out the scriptures. And the question that it's got me thinking is, well, how do they see the difference Because when I look at God's Word and when I look at Star Wars, I see vastly different categories in terms of the use and practice in life. One is thousands of years old. One is decades old. Vastly different impact on the way that they change our life. If I were to ask them, can you trust the Bible, I don't know that they would look at it any differently than Star Wars. But what about you this morning? Can you trust God's word? Can you trust the Bible when you look at this? What kind of questions begin to come to mind? We're in this sermon series right now, and it's a great sermon series. It's called, Would the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And it makes me think of some songs from my childhood, perhaps. Makes you think of maybe dating games or other things. I don't know. But I think it's a great way to look at the Christian faith. Would the real Jesus please stand up? Because there are so many different perspectives on things. There are different ways to look at things. And we've talked about everything from hanging out with the wrong crowd. What's the real understanding of that? Who who is the real Jesus? And today, that's what we're digging into is what's, what's, what's the real understanding God wants us to have when it comes to his word? Again, I ask you this question, can you trust the Bible? And here's a great way to think about and kind of test where you're at this morning. If someone were to come to you, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's just someone you just meet for the first time and walking down the street, and they were to say, "Hey, I observed that you're a Christian. I've read the Bible. I'm kind of having a hard time with it. Why do you believe it to be true? What would you say? Where do you begin? How do you articulate this faith that you have?" It's a good question. It's something that's important for us as disciples to rest with. I would say it's an urgent question. It's an important question for a couple of reasons. One is, Scripture's our source. I mean, it's, it's, as a Christian, it's, it's required reading. It's, it's the fundamental basics. of It's the source of where we find everything that we need to know about the Christian faith. This week, I went onto our website. This is how great of an employee I am of Lutheran Church of Hope. I couldn't remember all of our core values. So I had to go online because I'm like, man, I swear there's a core value about the Bible. And I go through and we have, I think, five or six of them. I still can't remember off the top of my head. I should, I should really work on that. And I'm looking through and there's, I mean, I remember Jesus' life, the rest of the details. Lost people matter to God. Uh, we're all united in one under Jesus Christ. I remember all these different things, but I'm like, there's got to be one about the Bible. And I start looking through it and I begin to realize, no, Scripture is throughout it. We don't have a core value about the Bible because it's already assumed that it's going to be a regular part of our life. That's how important this is to us. If we're going to be a church that's faithful to our mission, that gets to experience the good news for all that it is, well, then the scriptures are naturally going to be a part of what we're doing. So we ask this question again. We need to have an answer to this question, can I trust the Bible? But it's also important because you and I live in an incredibly confusing world. When it comes to the Bible, in fact, when it comes to the Christian faith and for sure the Bible, there are so many voices, so many opinions, so many perspectives, so many takes on the answering to this question, who is Jesus and, and can we trust the Bible? And it turns out the Apostle Paul, really smart guy, he already saw this coming and it's evident in his instructions to his protege his Padawan, to use uh, Star Wars terms, Timothy. And it's our Bible reading for today. And I just want to read this to you again because I think it's so interesting how Paul finds himself living in the exact same world in many ways that you and I are in today. He says this to Timothy. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ who will someday judge the living and the dead, preach the word of God, he says. Be prepared whether it's favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. In other words, he says, share the good news. You've got to get out there and you have to share the good news, Timothy, because, doggone it, people are going to need to hear it. And they're going to need to be reminded of it. And verse 3 tells us why. For a time is coming when people aren't going to listen to sound and wholesome teaching. But rather, they're going to follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They're going to reject the truth. And they're going to chase after myths. And doesn't Paul know it? If, if you ever wondered why Paul wrote so many letters in the New Testament, it's this very reason. There was time after time after time where he went and visited some people. He shared the gospel with them and, and the seeds began to take root And only weeks, months, years later, people, somebody else came in and said, well, that Paul guy, he didn't quite know what he was talking about. And next thing you know, you've got a whole different gospel, a whole different set of good news. People of Galatia is a great example. Paul comes in and a church is born. The the faith expands into this territory. And pretty soon people come in saying, no, there are all these other things you still have to do to be a Christian. It's not just that God loves you unconditionally. You have to do these things. Things like circumcision, things like obeying certain other requirements of the law. And so Paul has an issue with this, and that's where we get his response. It's called Galatians. It's in your Bible. You can read it. It happened then, right? This confusing world that we look in, it happens today. You and I, all of humanity, we need to be reminded of the truth. We have these buckets inside of us that for some reason, I think it's called being human, right? They have holes drilled in the bottom of them. And so we need to be reminded of the truth. This stuff begins to leak out of us. And here's what happens. We get separated from the good news. It's not that we usually go off in some completely opposite direction. We join a cult or something. What happens if we get disconnected from Scripture is that we find that we, I think often, most often, we water down the good news. It's not, it just becomes okay news. It's not this earth-shattering, amazing grace that we just sang about this morning. Here's the reality I want you to know this morning. God has given you and I the Bible, this Word of God, to be able to tune into His voice, to be able to follow Him, to be able to understand what He is saying to us and about us. But it's so hard with so many voices competing for our attention And so on the slide up here, I draw your attention that I put some of these other voices that are speaking to us, that are calling to us, that are questioning a lot of what has to do with the scripture. Upper left here, you've got Dan Brown, author of Da Vinci Code, one of the best books I've ever read in terms of the way that it's written. I mean, the chapters were really short, so I love that. And it was gripping, it was compelling, but here's the thing, it's historical fiction, and Dan Brown will tell you that. But what he did is historical fiction. It's, It's confusing enough, if you haven't done the research... If you haven't really dug into the historical evidence about what we have in terms of the scriptures being true and being trustworthy, well, you could begin to ask some really great questions. I mean, his whole book is built on this idea that Jesus was married and that there are these other gospels that the church just kind of swept under the rug. It's really built on this idea that the Bible and the church as we know it today is all built on this big conspiracy theory. Nothing could be further from the truth guy in the lower left there, Simcha Jacobovici, try and say that 15 times fast, created this documentary. He spent about three million of James Cameron's dollars creating The Lost Tomb of Jesus. It's a Discovery Channel documentary. You can also buy it on DV. You watch it, it's compelling, but what happens when you dig into this more, I just Googled it and started reading online. Nearly every scholar, archaeological scholar who was a part of this that he consulted on this film as they saw the finished product, said that the director, Simcha went way too far. They have in writing opposition to this film. The fact it's not truth. I mean, the people who are on it talking are saying this is not exactly what we wanted to do. They don't. It's not as conclusive as maybe people would be led to believe. On the right, the lower right here, we've got Robert W. Funk, who is uh, the head of the Jesus Seminar a consortium of scholars who for quite some time in the 80s and 90s, has been digging into the Gospels, historically trying to answer this question, who is the historical Jesus? In other words, their belief is that over time, the church or different translators, whatever, have added little sayings of Jesus and miracles and stories and things just to make it more uh, attractive to us, to attract the world around. And so they're sorting through and they take votes, all these really smart people, and they say, well, you know, actually their final conclusion was 80% 80% of what we have in our Bible today, they believe Jesus had nothing to do with, just made stuff up. Such a big deal that it made the cover of Time magazine, the search for Jesus. All of these people coming together with this idea there's this conspiracy out there, the Bible is not true, that you've bought into a lie. I can't think of any bigger advocate for this view, that the Bible is not worth putting our trust in than the guy in the upper right, his name is Bill Maher a documentary called Religious, where he goes through and basically just pokes holes into people's faith, just destroys them because he's really smart. And it's interesting to watch the way, it's not just that he has a passion for getting people to question their faith, you could almost describe it as a vengeance at times. And I'm wondering what his story is, I'm wondering what's a part of it, what drives someone to be have the attitude and the passion that he has to go against Jesus, to go against the message of the church. He was on Colbert recently and it was just kind of fascinating to see the way the conversation unfolded. I watched all this unfold on late night TV and I just thought, wow, we've come a long ways from Johnny Carson. As you watch this clip, be thinking about the places in your life where the, the voices just get a little confusing, where you experience resistance to believing about Jesus and God's word. Let's take a look. What a fascinating conversation. What a hilarious conversation. But what I noticed watching that as I was watching in that night, I mean, did you hear the howl when Bill brought up the idea of the silly stories comment? I mean, people are engaged in this. And it's because it's a question that people have been asking for centuries. I mean, this Bible, this Jesus guy, I mean, is it all really true? I love the big bowl of this comment as well, right? Religion teaches me humility in the face of this kind of attack. And, and if we're not careful, it can feel like an attack. I mean, in some ways, I think Bill's just very passionate about his view. And I think it's right to have big questions about scriptures. But we also need to remember how we engage this and how we do this. What do you say to someone like that who has beliefs like that? How do you model, how do you begin to support your view? Again, this is, these, this is part of why we're walking through this sermon series is begin to explore and have answers to these questions. Well, there's one more perspective, one more voice that we haven't allowed into this conversation yet, and it happens to be Paul's perspective. It happens to be our perspective as well as a church and as a believer in Christ, most of us would agree That scripture is a big deal, that it's something worth looking at. Let's jump to the next slide. This is the biblical perspective, and I want to read these words, all of us together on the screen. Here we go. Paul says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Just a chapter before Paul's instructions to Timothy that this time is coming when you're going to need to preach the word of God. Well, he can say that because he's already given him this perspective, this idea that Scripture is inspired by God. But you may hear that, and you may wonder, well, what does inspired by God actually mean? I mean, this is a powerfully different statement than the other voices that we've talked about so far. Inspired by God, what does that mean? Well, it means because God's Spirit inspired these authors who come from all over the place, all across uh, quite a span of time, all Scripture is God's word to us. And by the way, when Paul thinks scripture, when he says that in this passage, I mean, he, he doesn't have the New Testament. He's living the New Testament. He's writing what would become the New Testament. But he's referring to the Old Testament, the prophecies, all these things that are thousands of years old now, by the time he's on this planet, he's saying that they are God's word to us. And because so, they are entirely trustworthy. Well, involving human authors, I think it's important for us to understand that the Bible is finally God's word to us. It's not humanity's word about God. It's God's word to us. It has authority not because it stands on its own, but because God chose to reveal himself to mediate his authority through it. But as you can imagine, many of these other voices that are out there have a really hard time believing this, and at times, rightly so. This is nothing new. In fact, opponents of the Bible have had countless challenges with it. They've had countless stumbling blocks, things that have become Uh, to come across their path. As you dig into this, you begin to realize they will list a lot of the common same challenges. People generally come to many of the same conclusions. So I just want to run through some of these challenges for you this morning so you can begin to get a sense of what's out there, but also what do you believe when it comes to these things. So I've got six of them this morning I want to share with you real quick here. Number one is people will come to me and they will say, well, there's no way that we can know for sure right? This Bible, this story, this existence of God. Well, there's no way that we can know this for sure. Number two is people say it's a crazy story. I've had multiple people in my life, whether it was as a pastor or whether it was just a college roommate at UNI. Uh, Even as a kid, I can remember in elementary school, people saying to me, you don't actually believe all that stuff, do you? Don't you just go to church for the cookies and in our case, donut holes, right? And as a kid, I can remember thinking, well, don't. I mean, they're good cookies, but they're not that good. Like, I'm, I'm here for something better. There's no way we can know for sure this is a crazy story. People would say, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You actually believe that a guy was, was killed, put in a tomb, and three days later, his body ascended. You, you can't, he's not there anymore. You believe that. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And when people have said that to me, I've said, you know, I agree with you. In fact, I agree with both of these but they don't impact my faith. This crazy, crazy story that we have, it's just crazy enough that it might, in fact, I believe that it is true. Even though there's no way we can know for sure, it's been revealed to us. Paul talks about this idea that that we have these limitations, that there's this filter between us and objective that is real truth. It's called being human, right? We can't know everything. We're not God. We're human. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. He's talking about our ability to understand what love is, and we still work on that as well. But 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, this is what he says about us. He says, you and I, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Other translations will talk about we see through a glass that is dimly or darkly lit. right? We squint to look at this life around us. And so as Christians, it's imperative that we have a loose grip on our faith, that we are gentle as we wrestle with this truth and as we share it with other people. I mean, we can't see it all. So why would we expect everyone else to have the entire perspective? Just some things to think about. The other ones, though, the most common Bible challenges that people will throw out there, people will say it's outdated and it's irrelevant. Well, all you have to do, I feel like, is spend a week around Lutheran Church of Hope to realize that it's relevant to our times. Many of the things that are true about the world of the Bible are true about us today, and God enters into this and He has something to say. But for those who are deeply questioning the Bible, some of these other things will come up maybe more on the technical side. People will say, well, we don't have the originals, which is true, but we have copies of the originals. They'll say, we don't have enough copies of the originals, we've got over 5,000. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. People will say, well, there's been too much time between when the Bible, when these events happened, when Jesus walked the earth, and when these things were written down. Actually, it's not as big as you think. Talk about that in a moment. And number six, too many versions. There are too many variants. There are too many edits and tweaks and changes. Too many slightly different copies for all of this to be true. I mean, two people saw the same situation and wrote about it completely differently. How could that ever happen? Right? Have you ever been a witness for something? You ever played the game telephone, right? It's part of the human condition. These can be really scary things to think about until you begin to dig into the research, until you begin to dig into the history. And I just want to unpack some of this. You might be sitting here this morning, you might be asking this question, I understand that this is a confusing world. I understand that the Bible is something that's challenging to put my faith in, but you might be asking, how do I respond to this world that I live in? How do I navigate these waters of Bible confusion? Three things today to kind of keep in mind as we do this. One is to acknowledge the Bible is an incredibly powerful book. It shaped the way that we've seen this world. It shaped the world itself for 2,000 years. It's the world's bestseller. Think about this, 530 million copies of the Bible sold last year alone. 530 million copies. And it's a big deal. Homer, Iliad and the Odyssey, translated into 40 languages. Shakespeare has been translated into 60 languages. The Bible, 2,000 languages and counting. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? It's got something to do with the fact that people who have read it and spent time with it have had their lives radically transformed. Number two, it's good to remember the Scriptures were good enough... For Jesus, Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus, he goes back to the Scriptures. Satan also knows the Scriptures, but the difference is that Jesus has laid his life on the foundation of the Scriptures. He responds and makes decisions in light of the Scriptures. It was good enough for him. It's good enough for us. But the final one here, the final way to respond to this, I think, is to consider the historical evidence. And I can't go all into detail on this. We don't have time for it today, but I will tell you The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Great book. To dig into this, if you're wrestling with this or want to know more, it's important to know. Many, no, hardly any scholars are going to say Jesus never existed. What they'll try and say is that he was just a guy, he was just a teacher. He wasn't the Son of God. They make the case that only parts of the Bible are true. But if you look at the evidence both inside and outside, I think you can find evidence otherwise. So we're going to look at that inside and outside today, and and the way that I kind of remember this, keep this kind of shorthand in my head if people ever ask me these questions, I've got two acronyms, and the first one is RPM. Everyone say, RPM. RPM. R stands for resurrection. You want evidence that the Bible is true? Show me Jesus' body. We still cannot find Jesus' body. No scholar has ever found it. No archaeologist has ever uncovered it. There's no conclusive evidence that it's there. Many claim there's a conspiracy again, that we hid, the church hid his body. Under the Roman government, not so sure. So that's one place to begin is the resurrection. P stands for prophecy. Thousands of prophecies, thousands of years apart coming true. Over 300 about Jesus himself, worth digging into M stands for manuscript. Tons of early manuscripts, both Old and New Testament, have been produced, some as early as the first century. And here's what you need to know about this. Compared to the authoritative historical works of the time, they are vastly closer in years. The Gospels are more like 100 years from when we have our first reliable copies showing up, from when Jesus lived, 100 years. If you go to some of these other historical things that scholars will lean on, it's more like 800 or 1,000 years difference. The Bible actually has the shortest time gap between the copies that we have that are in existence today and when they were written. But the other thing you got to look at is the inherent unity. All of these different authors, 40 authors from thousands of years apart, they're spread across centuries. Uh, All different walks of life, different places, all of these things, and they come together with this common thread and theme of God loving and restoring this planet. Um, When the scriptures were first written, we don't have the originals, but that also has the shortest gap. People will talk about this. When the first copies of the scriptures came out, the people who are referenced in it were still alive. All They wrote the Bible and all people had to say is, well, hey, my name is in the Bible, Mark includes specific names as witnesses, basically so people can go and say, did you really see this? And they said, yes. If you're making up a story, if it's a conspiracy, then you're not going to put that many names in the Bible when people could just testify in the opposite. And again, we have thousands of copies as well. We have as many copies as the Bible as we have anything else. The other acronym on here is SAT. Everybody say SAT. S A T S stands for science. Science describes the how, the Bible gets at the why. People think that those things do not work together, but as honest science and biblical faith come together, we see no conflict. A stands for archaeology. In fact, the opposite has happened. People think that they're going to uncover stuff that will disprove the Bible. In fact, the opposite has happened. The Bible has made some claims that only later archaeology proved to be true. But perhaps the most powerful is uh, T, and it stands for testimony. There are eyewitnesses, as I was just talking about, throughout the Scriptures, throughout uh, the writings of, of our four Gospels, and those people are there as reference points, as supportive evidence. But perhaps maybe even more powerful than just the testimonies of the people in the Scriptures are the testimonies of the people that I meet every day who are part of this church and the Christian tradition, who are experiencing God's love and grace. And it's not just people here, but it's people like C.S. Lewis. People like a guy named Lee Strobel. He wrote the book Case for Christ. He was a a journalist for the Chicago Sun-Times and spent several years digging in, trying to disprove the Bible. And what happened, as a nonbeliever, he came to faith. And so we're left with this question today, can you trust the Bible? Will the Holy Spirit and you, you get to answer that question? And that's where we're going to leave things today. John, as he wraps up his gospel, he says these things have been written so that you may believe, so that in the name of Jesus you can find life. And what I want us to remember as we head out of here today, in fact, is we're about to taste and see just how great the Lord is, is that a Christians, the call for us as disciples, it's not to walk through life just fully confident and never questioning anything, but it's to remember that we live by faith, not by sight. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we live by believing and not seeing. May that be true of us as well. I want to invite you to stand this morning as we close in prayer and transition to communion. God, we say thank you to you this morning for, God, for your word. Lord, we say thank you for Star Wars as well, but God, we're, we're even more thankful that your word, that it is true. God, that it's powerful, that it's useful for equipping us to live this life with you. And God, I pray for those in the room today who have questions about the Bible. God, I pray you'd continue to walk with them. Remind them of your presence. God, you'd show up in such a powerful way that there'd be un- mistakable evidence, God, that you are alive and well, and that you are good for your word. God, we cling to you today. We thank you for this time to gather. Lord, we look forward to love, your love, and grace. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.